0: that come your way, I have no doubt they are well-deserved and we pray that God will bless you immensely as you begin your new journey in life. And life is often about transitions, isn't it? And there are what we might call watershed moments in life, one of which is when you graduate from high school. And uh, it's always good to reflect back on that day and time and you think about all the blessings of just being around friends and relationships that you have built over the last few years and so hopefully and prayerfully those relationships will last you a lifetime. We are looking tonight we continue our study key chapters in scripture. Tonight we look at Romans chapter 6. Before we begin tonight I want to say very quickly we have John Skaggs and his family with us tonight and good to have John and his family with us and John is the editor of the Gospel Journal. It's a great journal. And uh, he preaches in South Georgia and is a friend of mine as well as Jared. Matter of fact, he's known Jared for, from way back. And uh, I suspect could probably tell you some stories about Jared. Uh, probably some good, maybe some not so good. But uh, Jared's a great guy and we appreciate him. And I know that John has a tremendous amount of respect for Jared and his family and for all the good that they do for the cause of Christ. We're also glad to have Alan Webster with us tonight. And Alan, as you know, is the editor for House to House, Heart to Heart. And they literally go into millions of homes all across this country. And we're grateful for the great work that he's doing. Uh, He is now also an instructor at the Memphis School of Preaching, the Georgia School of Preaching. He's a busy guy, as is John. And so we are glad, we're delighted that they have come our way tonight to worship with us. If you're visiting, please know that you're an honored guest. We'd love to have you back. Tonight as we look at Romans chapter 6, the theme of our study tonight, servants of righteousness. I find it ironic that the apostle Paul began his letter to the saints in Rome by identifying himself in verse 1 of chapter 1 as a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, as you well know, had at one time been an enemy of the cause of Christ. However, when he was converted and made that change for the better, as we would say, he was all in. And his life was all about serving the Lord. Matter of fact, I think about Philippians 1:21 often. When the Apostle Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think if we were privileged to sit down with the apostle Paul and maybe interview him and to ask him, Paul, what is it that your life's all about? I mean, if you had, if you had the opportunity to maybe express in a couple of sentences what your life's about, what do you think he would have said? I think he would unequivocally have said in the long ago, my life is about serving the Lord. I am a voluntary servant in the cause of Christ. And the apostle Paul, did a great deal to advance the cause in the first century. Through his work and through his efforts, people today continue to be blessed by his inspired writings. And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul makes the case that those of us who have obeyed the gospel, that we're no longer the servants of sin, but rather we have become the servants of righteousness. There are three things I want to share with you in our study tonight as we think about Romans chapter 6. First, let's talk about our liberation in Christ. We're going to look at various verses in chapter 6. We're not going to look at it chronologically. I want to begin by first of all talking about the choice that Paul presents to those who are in Rome. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to obey? He said, Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. All Paul's saying is that we have choices to make, don't we? We have the opportunity to make the choice to live a life of rebellion or to live a a life of righteousness. Again, the choice is ours. You know, when God created the first couple and placed them in the Garden of Eden, God did not create them, as you well know, as mere robots, but rather with the freedom of volition to make choices. And God said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 speaks clearly to the consequences of what happened in in the garden and the plague of sin and what sin has done to mankind. Now, those of us today, we have the opportunity to make choices on a daily basis. Choices are a part of everyday living in America. Matter of fact, globally speaking. And you go back to the Old Testament and you remember Moses, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, said on behalf of God, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. His advice was, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Joshua, the leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, the one who succeeded Moses, who led the children of Israel into the promised land, Joshua said in chapter 24, Choose you this day, whom you will serve." That is a choice that we all must make. We choose to come to Christ, and then we must choose to stay faithful to Christ. There are some people that have just made the decision they're going to live in rebellion to God. They're not interested in spiritual things. They're not concerned about the plight of their soul. They have no care for spiritual things by and large. And they live what we might call a hedonistic lifestyle. Or they live a humanistic lifestyle. Everything is about them, and they've literally sold their soul for the world. And yet Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There are some folks, they've made that decision. They're going to live as rebels. And then sadly there are some who are in Christ who've chosen to go back into the world and they too are living in rebellion to the will of God. You remember Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 15, talks about those who have forsaken the right way. Here were individuals that at one time had been members of the body of Christ in good standing, living for the Lord day in and day out, and yet they had aborted the faith. And as a result of that, They no longer enjoy the blessings of fellowship and all that goes with that. The other side of the coin is we can choose to live righteously. The greatest choice you'll ever make in this life, it's not where you'll go to school, not the person you decide to marry one day, the greatest, most important choice you will ever make in this life is to decide to become a child of God. I'm not minimizing those other choices. I think it's incredibly important we make the right choice with regard to, who, to the kind of person we marry or the school or academic institution that we affiliate with. Those choices can either build our faith or in many cases break our faith. But to make the decision to become a child of God I've said many times, and I believe it to be the case, the greatest life to live is Christian life. The reason the Christian life is the best life is because it is the blessed life. And there are spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ that are foreign to the world. It's not that God doesn't want others to enjoy the blessings and favors that He has to offer. But spiritual blessings are exclusive to those who are in Christ. Paul is writing to people that had made the decision to live for the Lord. Matter of fact in Romans chapter 7 verse 4 he would say they are married to Christ. That's the relationship that we enjoy with Christ. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so as a part of that body we want to live in such a way so that we reflect righteousness. Now Think for a minute or two about the possibility of making changes in life. Paul again is writing to people that have come out of the world. And so in Romans chapter 6 verse 17, Paul said, But God be thanked. Listen to what he said. Though you were the servants of sin, he said you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered to you in order for us to appropriate the blessings that reside in Christ we must have faith in the Lord now I'm not talking about faith only when I talk about faith I'm using it in its most comprehensive sense for example back in Romans chapter 1 when Paul talked about how Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He said, to whom whom we have received grace and apostleship, listen to him, for the obedience of faith among all nations for His name. Paul was writing to people that had demonstrated an active, operative faith. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever read that God blesses people who only demonstrate faith and that faith not being coupled with obedience. So, here were people that had obeyed from the heart that form or pattern of doctrine delivered to them. As a result of that, they enjoyed tremendous spiritual blessings in Christ, didn't they? Now we talk today about the importance of following God's Word. And to understand that when we obey the gospel of Christ, we are ushered into a relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus bought the church with His blood and the church belongs to Him. And so it's in that context that we belong to the Lord. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Now I want you to think about something for a moment or two. Faith. Faith is taking God at His Word. I said this morning in Bible class, Franklin Camp said many years ago, Faith gives substance and reality to things not seen. When we obey the gospel, in other words, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, how does faith come? Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So we put our faith and trust in Almighty God. We repent of our sins and confess His name before others, because Paul said, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But then we're baptized into Christ. Faith understands... And faith recognizes that the blessings God has promised can be received by what? By an obedient faith. Now you can go all the way back to the Old Testament and you can read story after story, case after case of people that demonstrated divine principles whereby they were blessed by Almighty God. Go back to Genesis chapter 6, when God said to Noah in the long ago, He was going to destroy the world by means of a flood. And You remember the Bible says in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible tells us that Noah walked with God. In other words, he was walking in concert with the will of God. But God said, look, I'm going to destroy the world by means of a flood. And Noah, what I want you to do is build an ark of gopher wood setting forth the dimensions of that ark. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 22, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded commanded him, so did he. So what do you have there? You have faith. You've got God's grace. You've got divine instruction, don't you? Make an ark of gopher wood. And then you have an obedient heart. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, The Bible says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah, did you have to do something to save your home? Yes. The Bible says eight souls were saved. Why? Because he was obedient. He had faith and obedience. And what does God do when we demonstrate faith and obedience? He blesses us, doesn't He? Now you move forward in time. Remember the children of Israel in the book of Numbers chapter 21? The children of Israel are murmuring and complaining and God sent fiery serpents among the people and they began to bite people and the Bible says many of those people died. They cried out for relief. Moses intercedes on their behalf and God said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a serpent of brass. And he said, And once you build that serpent of brass, whoever is bitten by a serpent, if they will look at that serpent of brass, what will happen? He said, they'll live. Did it take faith on their part? Yes. Faith that God would do what He promised to do if they complied with His instructions. Well, what if they just sat in their tent? They'd been bitten. They said, you know, I know there's a fiery serpent outside the tent. I believe that. But I'm not going to go outside and look at that serpent of bronze, as God instructed, would they have lived or died? You know the answer to that, don't you? So we think about faith in the Lord. Then there's a second thought. Not just faith in the Lord, but freedom in the Lord. The Bible says, and being set free from sin. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of of becoming a child of God, you escape, number one, the bondage of sin. Now, I know what people say in the world today. They'll tell you, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want somebody telling me what I can and can't do. I want to be the captain of my ship. I want to be in control. Let me tell you what, somebody's controlling you. Either the Lord is controlling you or the devil is. There are no middle ground. And so what people misunderstand is that in the world, that is, those who are outside of Christ, they are living in the bondage of sin. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34? Whoever commits sin is the bondservant of sin. Sin is a horrible taskmaster. Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. You start reading in the Old Testament and make your way forward to the New Testament. And you see individuals who ignored the will of God and the commands of God and see how that worked out for them. Not so good. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, talked about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Oh, they think they're free. They think they're at liberty to just do as they please is an alcoholic is an alcoholic free is a drug addict free is somebody enslaved to pornography are they free you no know, it's called spiritual slavery isn't it you know what the devil he promises the world and he never delivers does he tell me one thing the devil has delivered on not a thing so when we become children of God we are said to be free in Christ we are the recipients of that freedom. Jesus said you shall know the truth the truth shall make you free and Jesus said in John 8:36 if the son makes you free he said you're free indeed. Free from what? The bondage of sin and the burden of sin. Are there not people tonight whose lives are in disarray, in chaos. You ever thought about what Christianity has done for you? I've often thought about how blessed I have been because a long time ago I made the decision to become a child of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm far from it. But I can tell you, had I continued on the path that I was on, I would be a train wreck today, and I mean that. And so, there are a lot of folks in the world, they're dealing with the bondage of sin and the burden of sin, and it's a horrible thing. And so, as we look at what Paul says here, Paul is talking about our liberation in Christ, But then, secondly, let's think for a minute or two about our regulation in Christ. I want to begin by talking about, first and foremost, the blessings of God's grace. Do you realize how blessed you are? Do we realize how blessed we are because a loving God in heaven reached out to the crown of His creation and put in motion a redemptive plan so that we could be saved. What was the motivating factor behind that? Well, I think God's love. Paul said, God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John said, God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we talk about the love of God, but then add to that, couple with that, the grace of God. Paul said in the long ago, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. There's no way that I could ever put God in debt to me I like Paul am a debtor I'm indebted to God for what he has done on my behalf so we think about the blessings of God's grace and I want to suggest to you that we have been redeemed through his grace go back and look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 3 verse well in about verse 24 He said, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be propitiation through faith in His blood. Let's just pause there for a minute. God had us in mind when He designed that redemptive plan. And that redemptive plan was put in place because of His marvelous, matchless grace. And Paul said that we have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Grace is in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. In order to appropriate that grace, then we've got to honor the will of the Lord, don't we? comply with certain conditions set forth in Scripture. As Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. So you think about how we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed through His grace, but then what about the riches of God's grace? Do you think the Apostle Paul appreciated the riches of God's grace? You go back and look at his life. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talked about how he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. He said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then on the heels of that, he said, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So what about Paul? Did Paul know something about the marvelous, matchless grace of God? Are there not people in the world today, they have this idea, you know, because of what I've done, where I've been, what I've said, the lifestyle I've chosen, there's no way God's grace could reach me. That's not what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Because in chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said, where grace abounded, or rather where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Paul knew something about the depth, the width, and the height of the, of the grace of God. And you and I tonight, we are privileged to enjoy the blessings of God's grace, aren't we? So when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he would say to the praise of the glory of His grace, Wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. In verse seven, he said, "In him, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches." Listen to him, according to the riches of his grace. We ought to thank God every day for his grace, mercy, and love. As the psalmist said in the long ago, "As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us." Paul had been living in the wretchedness, in the muck and mire of sin. He was a destructive force when it came to those who were followers of the way. And yet he had been liberated and captivated by whom? By the Lord Jesus. Now we talk about the blessings of God's grace, but I want you to think about something else. It has to do with the boundaries of God's grace. Did you know that there are certain boundaries related to the grace of Almighty God? Paul makes that case in Romans chapter 6. Wherever God's grace goes, it is always, and I would stress that, it is always accompanied by divine instruction or teaching or law. And so you pick up what Paul said in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation to every man. Listen to him teaching us, instructing us, all right? So the people who were living in Rome, the ones to whom the Apostle Paul wrote, and he identified them in chapter 1 as beloved of God, called to be saints. Did these folks need to know something about God's grace and the boundaries of that grace? Well, listen to him in chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now that's the attitude of some, isn't it? God's grace has been lavished upon us, and so because of that, we can just live as we please. We have a license to sin. Why? Because God's grace will cover it. So Paul asked that question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His response was, certainly not. Some translations say, God forbid. Well, why, Paul? How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? So, we have to be educated, don't we? And and so you think about, we're educated in the grace of God, and we are regulated by the grace of God. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul pictures somebody who obeys the gospel. And the consummating act of that is when they are buried with Christ in baptism. A death is taking place, isn't there? We're buried with Christ, entombed, as it were, in Christ. But then Paul said, we rise to walk in newness of life. Now, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Well, why? Because you died to that way of life. You don't have the right to live as you please. Why? Because Jesus is your Lord. He is the Lord of our life. He is the one who is reigning or controlling our speech, our thoughts our actions, our conduct in whole, as a whole. And so, are there boundaries when it comes to the grace of God? Well, yes. That ought to be abundantly clear. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the saints in Galatia? He said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What's Paul saying there? Paul is simply saying that when he became a child of God, he died to the love and the practice of sin. That he was no longer going to be controlled by sin. No longer going to be dominated by the devil. Read 1 John chapter 3. And John makes the case We're not perfect. No, we make mistakes. But the goal is to walk in the light, and the assurance is if we walk in the light, He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus is constantly working in our lives, isn't it? There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about our liberation in Christ, our regulation in Christ, and then there is what I would call an expectation in Christ when we become children of God, when you became a child of God, when I became a child of God, I was to become one focused on the Lord. Now, Paul talks about the focal point of a child of God. He reminds his readers of their past, their servitude as sinners. And really what he's saying is, you're no longer a servant of sin, but rather you have become a servant of righteousness, of doing what's right. Listen to him again. And being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So to understand that we are to serve the Lord, aren't we? I mean, that's that's the goal. That's what... Paul's saying here, our whole way of life is changed. And so as a result of that, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the focus of our life is about serving the Lord. Paul in verse 13 talks about those who use the members of their body as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And the contrast is that we're to use the members of our body as instruments of righteousness for the sake of God. You can start reading in the New Testament. And the Bible sets before us how we can serve the Lord day in and day out. You remember I said a minute ago, if we had the opportunity to interview Paul, If we asked him, Paul, what is it that makes you tick? He would have said, serving the Lord. It ought to be something that is a part of us. Christianity is not like putting on a suit of clothes in the morning and taking it off at night, but rather it's 24-7, isn't it? So you think about the focus of the Christian life, and then... Note, if you would, the fruitfulness of a Christian life. Paul asked the question, what fruit had you in those things which are now ashamed? The end of those things, he said, is death. But he said, now you have your fruit unto holiness. Paul, here's talking about as a child of God, we now live with a sense of purpose, don't we? Our purpose is to live in such a way so that we glorify God day in and day out. The church exists to bring honor and glory to God. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 21. We are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and the works that we engage in, the things that we do, the fruit that we bear, whether it is personal holiness or engaging in good works to the benefit of others. It's all done to the glory of God, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? So you think about our purpose, but then what about our promise? Paul said, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Those of us who are in Christ We live for the Lord day in and day out and we honor Him by how we live because ultimately we want to go home and be with Him, don't we? We want to be with Him in heaven one day. Paul here is saying, look, as a child of God, you have the hope of heaven before you. You remember Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he talked about the Lord Jesus being raised from the dead, and that's the basis of our hope when it comes to being resurrected from the dead one day. And Peter said, you have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled. He said, it fades not away, and it is reserved in heaven for you. When you became a child of God, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, that your name was registered in heaven. God put your name in the book of life. And John said one day when the Lord Jesus comes and He sits upon His throne, He said, the books will be opened. Another book will be opened. He said, which is the book of life? Is your name in the book of life? Has God recorded your name in the book of life or is it possible He has removed your name from the book of life? Because you left the Lord. So tonight to understand, we belong to God. We've been bought by God. And so since He bought us and since we belong to Him, we live to His glory. We are, as Paul said, we are servants of righteousness. I don't know what you want on your tombstone one day. Maybe nothing. But I want to ask you a question. Can you think of any greater compliment than for your family members to etch on your tombstone a servant of Christ? Doesn't that say it all? A servant of Christ? When you die, will people talk about you? About what a great servant you were? And how you are a tremendous blessing to so many people. Let me tell you what. The church is the greatest institution on earth. And I have been blessed beyond measure to be a member of the church. I am incredibly blessed to be a part of this church. And to be a member of the body of Christ to be a part of the body that God has promised to save one day. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what could I say that would make a difference in your life? What would it take for you to leave a life of sin and to begin serving the Savior? The hope of heaven? the joy of knowing that all of your sins have been washed away. You don't have to bear the burden and the guilt of sin any longer. You can go home tonight and you can be free. Free from the burden of sin. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do what they did on Pentecost Day. They repented of their sins. They were baptized into Christ. God put them in the church, Acts two forty seven, And then the exhortation we're to be faithful, come what may. And the promise is the crown of life. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not faithful, and you want us to pray with you and for you as we did this morning, we would be more than honored to do that. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing. God is one, the will come without it.
1: supper this morning and you need to do so tonight if you did not get one of the self-contained packets please raise your hand okay I think we're good now is the time that has been set aside for those who were unable to partake of the lord's supper this morning if you would please bow with me our heavenly father we are so grateful that you loved us so much to send your son to die on calvary for us we thank you, Father, for this emblem, the bread that represents his body, the body that hung upon the cross for our sins. It is in Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen. so we continue our prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask your forgiveness as we... Come to you. We thank you for your love for us and we thank you for your son's blood that was shed upon Calvary for our sins. We ask that you will be with those bless those who are partaking of this emblem at this time. In Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen.